Well, the last time I was here, I preached Hosea 1, but that was a while. I forgot to look up the date, but it's been at least two months. Um, so let me just remind you a little bit about Hosea 1, just briefly. Hosea 1, we entered into uh, this book and we saw this stark command of God. Uh, the, the call of the prophet Hosea, and we looked at the contrast between the call of Hosea and some of the other prophet calls in the Bible. There's nothing really glorious about this. Uh, the first word of the Lord to Hosea is, go take your wife who is a whore. And we looked at how stark and unsettling that is. And I think just the only thing I, I, I want to remind you about that is that it will not do to say that this is merely metaphorical, that God would never ask his prophet to do something so morally objectionable as some biblical interpreters do. And the reason that won't do is because the marriage of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of the marriage of God to his bride. And so if we retreat from this, the marriage of Hosea and Gomer, then we ought to have a similar reaction to this, the marriage of God to his people. In one sense, we should have that kind of response. The starkness of this is meant to highlight the greater starkness of that. But if we dismiss this, if we explain this away, then we wind up missing how profound the picture really is over here. So it won't do to be dismissive to explain it away. We must embrace this idea that this is the kind of marriage God has entered into. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Last, uh, last time we were looking at a passage that was, uh, I don't know, you could call it descriptive. It's more outside looking in. This is going to be more of a depiction. This is going to be more like motion picture, moving time as we enter into it. So let's look at Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day when she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. By the way, it's not saying they're products of her whoring, they have entered into the same kind of life that she lives. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge her up. I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. 
Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees on which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her back bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me by by all. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by her no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord." And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have no mercy on, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that this is not simply a cognitive discourse, but that your spirit comes with your word with power to change us. And so we ask it and we look for it even this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we have Gomer. Um, she is. We've moved from just God saying, "Look, this is what we're, what I want you to do," and the text describing how this unfolds into this very personal uh, interaction between Hosea and Gomer. This pleading through his children to his wife, and I just want you to imagine, if you with me, if you will, that that Gomer has, um, along the way of her marriage, uh, grown hardened in her response to Hosea. At first, there were surely tears and promises of change as he caught her in her uh, unfaithfulness, uh, uh, vows to stop commitments and, and new experience, maybe even of, of, um, of time of, of faithfulness. But as Gomer continues to wander into her own sin and lusts and desires, she becomes more and more brazen. Uh, She becomes more and more bold and more and more hardened to her husband. 
So now there's no longer uh, promises of change. She just enters the house and walks straight for her room, shutting out all of his pleas. Her heart is hard, and his voice makes her sick. She hates hearing it. Even with the tenderness that it comes to her, even with pleas and cries, it just falls on her like the impotence that she thinks he is, the impotent man that she thinks he is. She hears his pleas and sees him as weak and worthless. He can't provide for her the things that she longs for and the things that her lovers give her. And so she hates his voice now. The tenderness is only worse. It only makes her matter. But he won't give up. He won't stop the pleas. He won't stop beckoning her to return to his, uh, this relationship, to return to their marriage, to return to their family. And so now she's on the run. Now she thinks, I've got to get out of here. I've had enough. And so she moves into the dark shadows that she knows so well. Uh, She moves further and further away from his calls. She's gone for longer periods of time. Days and he doesn't know where she is. She's taken the very symbols of his affection. The dress that he bought her for their anniversary. The jewelry that he's given her over the years. And they've become the instruments of her sin. And she's on the run. She's in the alley. She's in the darkness. She is trying to get away. And yet he pursues. She runs. He keeps moving. She uh, goes places that she cannot imagine he would ever follow. But he follows her. And we find a a husband, Hosea, who is pursuing a wife who hates the very fact that he's doing it. And yet he continues. And that's where we are in the passage. That's sort of the narrative behind uh, the, the passage that's in front of us today. Because now he's sort of caught her in a way. And he's pleading, but he's pleading not with her because she will not hear his his voice, so he's pleading through her children. He's, He's appealing to them to lay his case before them. And what I want you to see is that he's actually laying out a case. That that language, plead, plead, this is the courtroom language. Uh, We're in a lawsuit here. He's laying out his case. He's now uh, found her or he's pursuing her in such a way to hem her in so that she will hear what she's done. We're told that he'll pursue her even into the wilderness. Plead, plead, make a case that could be translated strive or contend. So the husband has now become the plaintiff in a lawsuit for her unfaithfulness. Tell her she is not my wife and I'm not her husband. 
tell her so that she'll put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked. That language there is the language of their vows. He's reminding her that if I break this covenant with you and my vow to you in marriage, this is what will happen to me. May this be done to me. May I be stripped naked for all to see my shame and guilt. And he's reminding her of the vow she made in marriage. God is showing us what it looks like for him to pursue us as sinners. He's showing us through Hosea's love for Gomer what it looks like. And it looks like this kind of unfaithfulness, this kind of brokenness, this kind of deceit and unfaithfulness in terms of our relationship to God. We take the very things that he gives us and we make them the instruments of our own sin. And yet he pursues. He comes after us. And as we feel that pursuit, our hearts sometimes grow harder or have grown harder. We back away. I don't know if you've ever felt that experience that is God sort of is tacking with you and backing you into a corner. You keep looking for the way out. Looking for the, the way to um, escape the hand of judgment that is coming. Looking for a way to escape recognizing and dealing with how broken and sinful and tragic what you've done is. We can't look at Gomer and not see how tragic and awful this is. So the judgment comes. The judgment comes in the therefore statements. But look at how God brings judgment. Therefore... I will hedge up her way. See, Hosea pursues and he pursues through the dark alleys and he pursues in the wilderness. But the reason he pursues is to cut her off, not from him, but from her lovers. From the things that she pursues that bring destruction and death to her life, that bring misery He continues to pursue and he's going to do a a cutting off in this covenant lawsuit. But the, the thing that he cuts off is her from the very things that are destroying her. And so he says, I'm going to hedge up her way. I'm going to build a wall. I'm actually going to set opposition between you and the thing that you love. See, the very difficult thing about uh, Gomer is she pursues her lovers as she thinks that in them she finds the blessings of life. She, she credits them for the very things that God says that he gave her. She um, gives them credit, but he says, I gave those things to you. She doesn't know it. And this is the counterfeit and destructive nature of our own sin. Our own wanderings and longings. The counterfeit promises life looks like refuge. God looks like death. And he pursues and cuts off to reverse our thinking on that. 
one of the clearest examples of this is, uh, is the, I mean, this is easy, I think. It's not to pick on any one thing, but, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the reasons pornography is so powerful is because it's, it's, it's a counterfeit. Pornography doesn't, doesn't just get at raw lust, though it does. It promises things that it can't deliver, and it promises things that were, were uh, prom- that are promised gifts of God, intimacy, love, affection, purpose, meaning. And see what they're finding out as they study the effects of that particular sin is that it, it doesn't create greater and greater desire. It actually pushes down true desire. It deadens, not gives life. And this is the nature of the counterfeit. And what we see is that Hosea is going to follow Gomer into the darkest places because he knows that she's running to death. And she's so twisted up that she pursues her lovers. The language of a hunt. But she cannot overtake them. The language of battle. She is gripped powerfully by this pursuit. And Hosea's pursuit is just as persistent. When she cannot find them, we see that she says, I will return to my first husband. This is not um, true repentance. This isn't. This is like the, the prodigal son who says, it'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than to eat pig slop. He, he cuts her off from those things she, that she's pursuing and she just realizes that it's better to live under that roof than to have nowhere to go. And so... The second judgment falls. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time. It gets even heavier, the hand of God upon her. And my wine in its season. I will remove the things that I've blessed her with. I will take away these things that, sh- that I've given her that she says have actually come from her lovers. And I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, and her Sabbath and appointed feasts. You know anything, notice anything about that list? That's all church activity. It is. This is all the language of uh, temple worship. So it won't do for us to look at Gomer's sin and say, well, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not like that. You might not be. But the reality is that, that Gomer's sin is, is, uh, is manifested in the way she worships Yahweh. It's probably more subtle uh, to the to the onlooking eye than the metaphor which captures it. There's a I don't know. 
There's a, how, how do I describe him? A, a modern day pop poet. You know him as Kanye West. <laughs> and he sings a song and um, that the lyrics just, I guess it's singing. The lyrics, he raps the song and the lyrics capture, captured my uh, thinking, my imagination. And um, the song is Runaway. And he sings about, he's singing to this girl that he's in a relationship with. And, and the punchline is he's telling her to run away from him as fast as he can. But he says something interesting and honest. It's a kind of honesty that I wish we had here this morning. He says, I always find something wrong. You've been putting up with my stuff way too long. And then he says, I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most. I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most. You know what we used to call that in conversations around dinner on Sundays? Discernment. And so what Kanye realizes is that there's something going on in his heart in this relationship that causes him to be really gifted at finding what he doesn't like about that girl. And he's telling her, look, get out as fast as you can. And what he's admitting is that he's already on the run. He's already run away from her. He's already left the relationship. And I wonder if we're not so subtle in our running here this morning. If Kanye doesn't have something to say to us about our discernment. Do you think that you're just gifted at finding what's wrong? Is that a gift? Or maybe it's a way for you to tack away from God and away from others so that you don't have to deal with your own sin. And so you back out all the while making blame shifting, saying that person, this thing, that's why. See, the heart of our insecurity and the heart of our false sense of, of relationship and love causes us to move away when people pursue. We're afraid, deeply fearful, that we cannot be loved um, for all that we are and all that we've done right where we are. And if we can... Um, if we can convince the other person to run away to justify the fact that this relationship's no longer happening, all the better. So maybe your sin is that subtle. Maybe you're just gifted at finding what you don't like. And you hide in that, blaming the other for the brokenness of your relationship. Blaming God. Blaming his church. And God says, I'm going to cut you off from those false ways of living. And I'm going to expose the evil of that subtle sin. 
And what he calls us to do this morning is to embrace the reality that we're all Gomer. I said it last time. Scott said it in a different way. If we cannot embrace that this is the nature of our hearts in some way or form or fashion at times and places, if we cannot see that our own unfaithfulness, our lack of faith, our wandering eyes, our, um, our distractions, our pursuit of comfort and life and money, wealth, power, Israel... Seeking um, security from Assyria, seeking security from their military might, seeking security from their, um, their paying tribute to the gods around them. If we cannot embrace that, then we cannot see the power of the third judgment. Verse 14, it's, I don't know, it's again stark. It's startling. I, I, I'm, I, when I read it, I thought, okay, another therefore. A therefore, therefore gives you sort of the attendant consequence in a lawsuit. You've been unfaithful, therefore this is what I'm going to do. You've uh, given, attributed all this to your lovers, therefore this is what I'm going to do. You have um, forsaken your God, therefore this is what God says. I will allure her. Behold, I will allure her. The attendant consequence is that God is going to allure, or Hosea is going to allure Gomer. And it's the language of, it's passionate. It's the kind of thing that maybe we shouldn't be privy to. It could be translated seduce, romance, entice. That's the attendant consequence that God is saying is coming with Gomer's failure. Is that he is going to allure her. Whereas the culture around would have applauded. Had, they, had he, she been thrown into the streets. And publicly. Shamed. God says. I'm going to bring you into the wilderness. And I'm going to speak tenderly. To you. It's actually tenderly. To her heart. I'm going to romance her. I'm going to speak kindness and gentleness. I'm going to woo and cajole and call this woman back. None of you can imagine a God like that. None of us. We see Gomer. If we see Gomer for what she's done, the shame that she's brought into this marriage, none of us can conceive that God would look at us like that or anyone We like to think it's true, but we cannot embrace what that means. Our minds are too small. Our hearts are too small. But this is the kind of God. And this is what his case is against her. He is going to call her back. The language of this turns very heavily on what God is going to do. And he tells us what he's going to do. And he explains it in, in greater detail. He says, I'm going to do all this. Look in verse 16 and following. You will call my name, for I will remove the names of Baals from your mouth. You will no longer whisper their names when you're speaking to me. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the creeping things, and I will abolish the bow and war. 
And I will betroth you to me forever and betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, steadfast love, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Look at that list. Everything that Gomer lacks, none of that can she claim to herself. Righteousness? She has not acted righteously in this relationship? Certainly not. Justice? Treating her husband and her children rightly? Seeking their, their um, better? Their good? No. Steadfast love? That's covenant faithfulness. And mercy. And we have to sit back and wander. Wonder. Not wander. Wonder. At a God who pursues us to the darkest places we would run. And when he catches us, he speaks tenderly. Like a lover does to the one he loves. See, I feel in my own heart, in my own life, that I'm like the guy that's afraid to go to the doctor because I'd rather not know how sick I am. It feels better to just not know. And God still keeps trying to corner me so that I will see how much like Gomer I am so that I can hear the tender words of a God who loves and speaks tenderly. Not only that, but he's going to renew their vows. He's going to make a a betrothal to them. He's going to bring them back and reestablish them in this covenant bond in all of these things that they lack. Everything that was required of of Gomer in her uh, vow to Hosea in their marriage. Everything that's required of us in our commitment to the Father and in our just being created as, as his people, his creatures. And certainly as those of us who have been called even into covenant with him. And he says, I'm going to establish this myself. Righteousness, faithfulness, mercy, justice. These things will mark you not because of what you've done. But because I will make it so. Now we certainly see those things working themselves out in our lives, but the only reason they're worked out in our lives is because God has made it so. And here's what I want you to see about this passage is it sort of does this narrowing in and widening out throughout the passage. When does God say he will do that? It's this interesting phrase, verse 16, in that day, in verse 21, in that day. And then the language gets um, strange in some sense. I will make a covenant for them uh, uh, on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the creeping things on the ground. Do you know where that language is from? Genesis 1. 
Verse 31. And what, what God is saying is, look, all that was lost, all that was broken, all that, that came to, to ruin in the fall, in that day I will reestablish. And then he goes on and he talks about, I will speak to the heavens and the heavens will speak back and everything's going to respond in kind. And what he's saying is in that day there will be peace um, and, and f- f- holiness and shalom, wholeness. That I will undo the effects of not only your sin, but the fall. That in that day, all that's been broken will be undone. All that's been lost will be restored. In that day, those who have no mercy or are identified by no mercy shall have mercy. And those who are identified as not my people will be my people. And what Hosea does beautifully is it, it tells the story of Israel's unfaithfulness or it gives this picture of Israel's unfaithfulness and our own unfaithfulness as, as fallen uh, creatures, men and women, but also as our unfaithfulness as those who have been called into relationship with God, those of us who have believed in Jesus. And it narrows in on how broken And shameful, whatever your wandering is, whether it's open and public or it's private and very subtle. And he says that in that day, he will undo those things. So I guess the question is, what's that day? What is... The prophet, what is God calling us to look for? And there's really two things to to see in that. The first is that that day certainly calls us to understand the coming of the faithful one. The one who uh, does allow God to betroth us in righteousness, that gives us a righteousness that we don't possess, the one that comes and does for us what we could not do for ourselves, that um, gives us faithfulness and, and, and obedience in Jesus. And what Hosea is looking to is the day when the faithless bride will be restored because one will be faithful in her place. But he's also looking for the day when that thing that we experience now but remain caught in unfaithfulness will someday be consummated. Will someday be um, ours in fullness. Someday we will know the blessings of of our own righteousness to the fullness. It won't be this concept that we, we are constantly trying to reach for, but is constantly out of grasp, or our holiness, or peace with God, or peace with each other, or the, the time when creation will no longer work against us, but we will be restored and redeemed in the fullness of the salvation of Jesus. 
the day when God answers the heavens and the heavens, the earth, and the earth, the grain, and the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, the day you shall know the Lord. Verse 20. And knowing the Lord in that passage, that verse is not simply a cognitive understanding of God. It is the intimate love and knowledge of a marriage relationship. And what God is saying is that what you're afraid of in me, what you think gives life over here, I will show you that I and the one who loves you and gives you life to the deepest parts of your soul, to the places that people around you don't know you struggle, to the places where you would never want to say to somebody, even your closest confidant, I struggle here. God is saying, that is how he will know and love you to the depths of your being and soul. So what does this mean? I don't know. A couple, couple things I, th- I think that it leads us to. I don't know. For those of you who are, who are married in here and all of you who are in relationships, which is all of us, What's the last thing you want to do when you're in a conflict with somebody, especially somebody you're close to? The last thing I want to do when I'm at odds with my wife is speak tenderly. I mean, that feels like death, doesn't it? It feels like the, one of the greatest hurdles I experience in my daily life is to go from I'm mad at you to I'm going to set that aside and speak in kindness to you because I love you. Because in, in honesty, I don't want to love you right now. And the reason we struggle in relationships and we run and we retreat And we're so gifted at finding what we don't like is because we have not been gripped enough by the fact that we're Gomer. And while we're Gomer, God speaks tenderly to us. And even his hand of judgment, which is obviously in this passage, is merely to hem us in away from our lovers and to expose the false reality of the things we put hope and trust in so that we might see his love. Maybe another way to think about this is I, I think it would be great if we were a congregation where Gomer could walk in and we would not flinch. Where she could walk in her, her guilt and shame and sin is public. We all know it. And instead of being the outsider, we actually see her as the very one that Jesus came and bled and died to save. But the only way we will see that is if we realize that we're her. 
That's me. That's my sin. That's my brokenness. That's my unfaithfulness. That's the only way we will be that kind of place is if we already understand who we are in regard to our sin and God's faithfulness. But Redeemer, wouldn't you love to be that place? Wouldn't you be to love it to be the kind of place where not only you believe that God accepts you, but the person sitting next to you right now would, if they could be honest? That would be great. It's only in seeing the mercy and love of God. The God who would romance a woman like Gomer. That we will get past our own pettiness, our own self-justification in our relationships, and that we as a people will be the kind of place where Gomer is normal. That's what this passage calls us to. And we have it in Christ's resurrection and we have it in his, his second coming. And that is to mark us as a people. Amen.